Okay, so the colonial wars for North America. Now, this is going to start off with French Canada. Even though France was late coming to the New World, they're still going to have a decent foothold in the northern part of North America. Now, the reason that they were a little behind had to do with some religious conflicts that were going on in France. Uh, this was going to be between the Catholics and the Huguenots. We're going to get the Edict of Nantes in 1598, and this is going to give some religious freedom to the French Protestants and effectively end the French Wars of Religion. After this, France is wanting to expand some of their influence into the Atlantic trade, and to do that, they're going to have to get that foothold in North America. Now, Samuel de Champlain, also known as the father of New France, is going to establish Quebec in 1608. Now, if you remember, this is going to be about a year after England established the Jamestown colony. Now, he's going to enter into a friendship with the local Huron, which is an indigenous tribe in this vicinity. And they're also the enemies of the Iroquois Confederation. Now, because of this, the Iroquois are going to retaliate. They're going to keep the French from expanding into the Ohio Valley. They're going to just ravage French settlements. And, you know, to add insult to injury, they're going to ally with the British. Now, the government for Quebec, for this new France, is going to lack any kind of like popular vote, assembly, or trial by jury. So it's not going to be very democratic from the start. The population there is going to grow really slow. Obviously, some of this is going to have to do with the, the less democratic policies. They're only going to have around 6,000 um, French or whites by 1750. And this is in comparison to the two and a half million that were in the 13 British American colonies at the same time. Now, as New France expands into North America, it's going to be a very successful uh, trading hub, specifically with the indigenous. The main reason for this is because of the way that the British and the Spanish treated the indigenous when they came over. The British, they wanted to remove or exterminate those who they believed were inferior or they believed were on uh, territory that, that they had the right to. Spain is wanting to Christianize and subdue them using the Encomida system. And if you remember, that's that forced labor where they had to... Uh, sometimes mine, or they had to, you know, work in these towns, usually for, for free. And then there was the mission system that would force conversions, or, you know, as we discussed, death. The French are going to become what was considered the great gift givers. They understood that the key to working with the indigenous, indigenous was based off of gift giving, because that is how they base their intertribal relationships. The French are also going to intermarry with the indigenous and adopt some of the tribal customs and get into this economic system of the fur trade, specifically the beaver trade. This is going to lead to more exploration of North America, and this is going to have to do with the heavy demand for fur in Europe. So this fur trade was very lucrative. Now you had the Corps de Bois, and the this translates roughly to runners of the woods. Now, these are going to be like rough French frontiersmen who are really involved in the fur trade. And then you have the voyageurs. 
And these are going to be French seamen who are going to recruit Native Americans into the fur trade. So as you can tell, everything really revolves heavily around the beaver trade. Now, there's also going to be Jesuits that will be there. And these are going to be Catholic missionaries who want to convert indigenous and save them from what they perceived as a debauched way uh, of living, of dealing with these corps de bois and of these forgers. And the missionaries, in order to accomplish their mission, they're actually going to live among the tribes. Now, France is going to establish posts in the Mississippi region, specifically New Orleans. Now, what they're wanting to do is to block Spanish expansion into the Gulf of Mexico because it's a very lucrative port. There's going to be forks and trading posts in Illinois County or Illinois Country like the uh, Cahokia and the Vincennes. Uh, and that's V-I-N-C-E-N-N-E-S, and Kyokia is C-A-H-O-K-I-A. It should sound familiar from when we talked uh, about first contact. Kyokia was a, a place, and it was like, um, it was a group of, of natives. Now, there's going to be a large amount of grain sent down the Mississippi River, and they're going to ship that to the West Indies and to Europe. Now, there's going to be a clash of empires. You've got England, you've got France, and you've got Spain, and none of them like each other. There's going to be four world wars that are going to occur between 1689 and 1763. Now, the first two we're going to talk about are King William's War, which is going to run from 1689 to 1697, and then Queen Anne's War, which will run from 1702 to 1713. So the British colonials and their Iroquois allies are going to fight the French Corps de Bois and their Native American allies, which will be the the uh, Huron and the Algonquin tribes. So the Iroquois are going to control much of the fur trade in the Great Lakes region, and this is going to be in direct conflict with the French traders. So, basically what happens is you've got British that are infringing on the French traders' fur trade, and then you're going to have the Huron, the Algonquin, who are working with the French that are infringing on the Iroquois' fur trade. So, it's, it's really about capitalism here. Now, European weapons are going to intensify the... Native American warfare, especially in the Eastern Woodlands, which we talked about the Eastern Woodlands when we were talking about first contact. And this is going to last for about three decades in the 17th century, the last three decades in the 17th century. Uh, this is going to result in a temporary depopulation of the Ohio Valley. And this is going to be a direct result of those beaver wars where the Iroquois and the English and the Dutch and the Huron and the Algonquin and the French are all just going at it. Now, during King William's War, the French are going to arm the Hurons and the Algonquins, and this is going to force the Iroquois into neutrality because the British aren't exactly the best allies with the natives at this time. The Iroquois are going to turn to diplomacy with Europeans after 1700, and there's going to be a balance of power, though an uneasy one that will emerge from this. 1713, we get the Treaty of Utrecht, and it's going to end colonial wars for about three decades. 
Britain will get Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, and the Hudson Bay Territory from France in this treaty. In the British American colonies, there's going to be a generation of peace. And there's also going to be that salutary neglect, which means there's going to be very little interference from Great Britain because Great Britain has got their own issues going on. So they don't really have time to deal with the colonies. The next war we're going to talk about is King George's War. And this is going to run from 1744 to 1748. So, a, you know, a relatively short one. This is also known as the War of Austrian Succession. So, Spain is going to again ally with France against Britain because everybody hates Britain at this time. The New Englanders are going to invade New France because... You know, France is against Britain, so therefore the New Englanders need to be against New France, and it's just a whole thing. They're going to take an important city of Louisbourg, and it's L-O-U-I-S-B-O-U-R-G. And this is going to be the area that covers the entrance of the St. Lawrence River. Then we get a, a peace treaty of 1748. England basically just gives Louisbourg back. And this, is, this helps to negotiate for a ceasefire in the European War. So it's actually kind of a good thing. The British colonists are obviously going to be furious at, the, as the, at this. They're going to feel very vulnerable from any kind of potential French threats in the North because they're not going to feel like they're being backed up by um, Big Britain versus Little Britain, a.k.a. the colonies. The next is the French and Indian War, and this will run from 1754 to 1763, so another, you know, decent amount of time here. It's also called the Seven Years War, even though, you know, it's not exactly seven years, but it is what it is. All right, this is considered to be one of the most important of the colonial wars. Now, the cause of this was a conflict over the Ohio Valley, because remember, we've got People trying to keep each other out of the Ohio Valley. So, British settlers are going to continue to move into the Ohio Valley region. And they're going to be increasingly opposed to the French dominance that's already there. The French are going to need to retain the region in order to link Canada with the lower Mississippi Valley and the Caribbean, which is where they're sending grain down to. The French are going to see the Iroquois trading concessions to the British merchants in the late 1740s. This is going to be a threat to the French interests in the Ohio Valley. Now, in response, they're going to begin to fortify the region with the construction of Fort Duquesne. And that's D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. It's French. What can I say? Now, the balance of power the Iroquois had tried to uh, retain is now unraveling because of this. Now, Fort Duquesne, May 1754. A, a young George Washington, Lieutenant Colonel George Washington, was sent by the Virginia government to the forks of the Ohio River in order to prevent the French from building a fort there. Now, their hope is to build a British fort instead. Washington is actually going to be defeated, and he's going to be forced to surrender his entire command, but he's allowed to leave with his army intact. So, basically, Washington triggered a world war. It's great. 
Britain is going to retaliate by clamping down in, in Nova Scotia. They're going to relocate about 4,000 Nova Scotians through the continent, including Louisiana. Now, these French-speaking Arcadians are going to become the descendants of modern-day Cajuns. So, that's where we get that from. The war is going to widen into the largest world war at the time. Uh, there's going to be around 25,000 American colonials that will fight in this conflict. We end up with the Albany Congress in 1754. This has to do with Great Britain's Board of Trade. They're going to call leaders from all the colonies in order to meet in Albany to discuss the Native American threat and to ask for an alliance, oddly enough, with the Iroquois. The Iroquois are going to refuse to commit themselves to the British and... This is actually going to increase uh, colonial colonial unity, and it's going to organize a strong defense against France, even though, you know, it's basically a world war. But it lends to this, not isolationism, but nationalism. That's the word I'm looking for. So instead of being individual colonies, it's kind of, it kind of pulled them together to have a, uh, like a national cause. So, the Albany Plan for Union. Now, Benjamin Franklin is going to propose a, pl a plan for colonial home rule that will deal with defense and Native American affairs. This is going to be adopted by the delegates at Albany. Individual, individual colonies are going to reject it, believing it's not enough autonomy given to the colonies. Because it's like they want to be... They want to be more than what they are, but they don't want to lose, like, their sovereignty to, to make their own laws, to, to do their own dealings. Now, Britain is also going to reject it because they felt it gave too much independence to the colonies. So, the colonies feel, feel like they don't have enough independence, and Britain thinks they have too much. Now, nearly all the Native American tribes in the Ohio Valley, except for the Iroquois, will ally with the French against the British. They basically viewed Washington's defeat at Fort Duquesne as a sign of British weakness. And in a decisive 1755 battle, the British General Braddock, B-R-A-D-D-O-C-K, he was defeated a few miles from Fort Duquesne by a smaller French and Native American force. Britain is going to have a full-scale invasion of Canada in 1756. And William Pitt, the great commoner, is going to become the leader of the British government and change Britain's strategy in the war. He's going to focus on defeating France and North America in order to win the war instead of remaining bogged down in Europe. Uh, William was very popular among the British people. And his success is actually going to, in the war, is actually going to lead Fort Duquesne being renamed to Pittsburgh, because his last name's Pitt. There's going to be tensions that will emerge between the British authorities and the American colonists, because some colonists were, imp you know, impressed into service without their consent, so basically they were drafted. There's going to be supplies and equipment for the military that were confiscated from farmers and tradesmen, people who not necessarily had enough to begin with. They're going to have things taken from them. Then the British troops were quartered by colonists without compensation. So you had to house these British troops. And 
these injustices are going to actually be reversed by Pitt in 1758, who will order the colonists to be compensated for property and that soldiers be enlisted by the colonies themselves instead of by the British. This leads us to the Battle of Quebec in 1759. So Pitt is going to appoint General James Wolfe to take Quebec, and that's Wolfe with an E at the end there. The city will fall in 1759, effectively ending the war in North America. Uh, even though both Wolfe and the French commander Montcalm, which is M-O-N-T-C-A-L-M, were actually killed during the battle. So they both lost their, their leaders there. This is going to represent one of the most significant battles in British and American history. This is all going to end with the Treaty of Paris in 1763. So basically France was removed from North, uh, North America completely. Technically the lands west of the Mississippi River were still French, but they weren't settled yet. Uh, so France will give it to Spain as compensation for, the Spain for Spanish support in the war. Now, the significance of Britain's victory over France in North America. So, Great Britain will emerge as a dominant power in North America and as the leading naval power in the world. This will permanently alter the balance of power in North America between Britain, France, and the Native Americans. So, your Native Americans are now increasingly at the mercy of the British American settlers who moved westward without fear of French reprisals because the French were keeping them at bay. By 1800, many of the eastern woodland Indians are going to be removed or killed due to American encroachment into their, their land. There's also going to be an enormous war debt, and this is going to result in having a new tax, which, you know, everyone loves those. So we get new tax policies, and these tax policies lead to the American Revolution. Because basically, Britain feels like they came over, they helped the colonies, so they should be compensated for what, you know, for the soldiers they sent, for the supplies they sent, for the armaments that they sent. So basically for protecting them. They're getting a, a guardian fee. Alright, so friction between the colonies and Britain during and after the French and Indian War. And it's actually called the French and Indian War, so that's what you need to write down. It's French and Indian I know we use indigenous now, but this is, you know, it's an old title. So, the colonies are going to emerge from war with an increased confidence in their military strength. So, they're going to get a little, you know, headstrong here. The colonial military leaders are going to be upset that, you know, a few of the Americans were promoted in the British Army. And that American officers were treated poorly. So, you're not going to get very many Americans promoted the Amer American officers that we did had were treated like crap. So, this is, this is going to be just another one of the drops in the bucket for the beginning of the American Revolution. British authorities were also upset that the American shippers were trading with Spain and that the French West, sorry, and the French West Indies during the war. The enemy 
Native Americans were aided by this in, these increased foodstuffs. Britain is going to forbid the export of all supplies from New England and the Middle Colonies during the last year of the war. And then some of the colonies are going to refuse to supply troops, and they're going to see these economic gains as more important than any kind of loyalty to Britain. Uh, later, they're going to agree to commit troops when Pitt actually offered to substantially reimburse the colonies. They were like, no, we're not going to do this unless you pay us. The legitimacy of British rule in the local uh, colonial affairs is going to come into question. Pitt's reversal of these British policies toward the colonies beginning in 1758. This is going to convince a lot of the colonists that the British should have little to no role in local matters because, you know, they're way over there. They're across the sea, literally. The colonies expected this autonomy because they had enjoyed that during that era of the salutary neglect that I've already talked about. The westward colonial expansion is going to increase significantly after the war. Like I said, that French barrier is gone. So west of the Appalachians, they're starting to move that way. Spanish and native threats were removed in a lot of these areas. And settlers were no longer as dependent on British protection in the frontier because these threats were moved. So, Pontiac's Rebellion. This is 1763. So, the Native Americans in the Ohio River, Ohio River Valley region or Ohio Valley region are going to be upset at the British treatment during the last years of the French and uh, Indian War. Chief Pontiac, who is an Ottawa chief, and it's A, I'm sorry, not A, O-T-T-O-W-A. He's going to refuse to surrender his lands to the British, although France had lost and were now gone. And France was their ally in war. Pontiac is also going to lead a Native American alliance against whites in the Ohio Valley and the Great Lakes region. This is going to be around 1763. So this is all part of this Pontiac's Rebellion. Nine out of 11 British forts were taken. Some of them were wiped out. Around 2,000 lives were lost during the first six months of the conflict, and many more colonists were driven from their homes on the frontier back to more settled areas. So out of their, you know out of Pontiac's land or territory. It took Britain around 18 months to bring the rebellion under control. So this is one of the this is one of the the more lengthy Native American battles. Britain is going to retaliate with germ warfare. Yes, I mean it's pretty harsh. So blankets that were infected with smallpox were distributed among the Native Americans, and obviously they're going to die out because, again, they don't have this immunity to smallpox like they would have had over in Europe because they were used to, the, not necessarily used to this disease, but it's like, it's kind of like the flu. Your body knows what to do with it because it's been around. You've, you've had it before, or, you know, your parents have had it, or siblings, someone has had it. Your immune system knows what to do with it. Smallpox, Native American Immune systems did not know what to do with this, so it would kill them just in droves. So the ending of this is going to be the Proclamation of 1763. This is going to be in response to Pontiac's Rebellion. King George III is going to sign an edict creating royal colonies in 
the newly acquired lands in the Treaty of Paris. It's going to prohibit colonials from moving west of the Appalachians. So basically, there's a line drawn from Canada to Florida along the crest of the Appalachians. Now, this was only intended to be temporary. Now, the British aim was to settle land disputes with the Native Americans fairly to prevent more uprisings like Pontiacs and to organize the eventual settlement and defense of the frontier. So they're actually trying to do something correct. Uh, the cl colonials were upset and they saw the edict as being permanent. So a lot of these veterans had, you know, they'd fought in the war. They felt betrayed. They felt like they were these, uh, they were taking away like this birthright of British citizens Especially your land speculators, they're, they're going to argue that this land was their birthright. And then colonies are generally going to ignore the proclamation and continue to stream westward. So you can see part of this has to do with the treatment of Native Americans is one of the reasons that we actually went into the American Revolution. We were told not to go west because we wanted to settle these disputes and we did anyway. Alright, so that ends Colonial Wars. Our next topic will be Road to Revolution. And we will start that on Monday. Don't forget to take a look at your opposing views. And my, my seniors, my juniors, you need to figure out which side, it, who's taking which side. I know you've got your little group me. Um, Dilly Bob, it's the best thing I can come up with. I know you've got your little group me, so you need to decide which grade is taking which view. And Hannah, I figure you're the first one to listen to this, so if you get that email to me, that'd be great.